This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio. Greetings from iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled, Do Ask, Do Tell, When Liberty is Stressed. Updates to Bill of Rights, Segment 2, I guess, is Essays on Challenges to Free Speech and Other Liberties. Joining me from near Washington, D.C., which is an excellent place to live if you're going to deal with a topic like this, Bill Bushka. Welcome to the program, sir. Good, good, good afternoon. Good to visit okay. with you. You have a, a book that is uh, extensive, I would say extensive, an extensive read. What was the motivation in writing this 216-page uh, essay or, or series of essays? <laughs> The immediate motivation for that book, that book was written in 2002, was 9-11 and what my ideas were with regard to individual liberty versus, you know, the common good, the needs of society, how 9-11 and how external events could affect our impression of what, what our individual rights are. I'm much more concerned about individual rights than I am about you know, putting people into interest groups and, and, and pitting them against each other, tribalism, you know, oppressor and oppressed. I'm much more of a libertarian on the side of how, what rights are absolute and should never be abridged or should be abridged as little as possible. And so this is that, a snapshot of that world as it was in 2002. Now, I want to go to go back a little bit because there's an earlier book called when a gay conservative lashes back that this followed on which mm-hmm. would, would start with originally 1997 and then then 2000 and what happened what started me writing was the fact that and this is covered in the second book i think it's covered in chapter four or five um and what happened is i was expelled from william and mary in the fall of 1961 over Thanksgiving Day weekend. And um, my parents had actually visited me. They went on to Charlotte to visit some friends. um, And and the dean and men called me in Friday night, the day after Thanksgiving. We didn't actually have Thanksgiving off. And there were rumors of of, and how they developed. That's another story in itself that I was homosexual. And um, I told him that I was a latent homosexual, and he said I didn't need to worry about anything because I hadn't done anything. But nevertheless, he called my parents. I gave him the number in Charlotte. In Charlotte, He called them, and they came in Tuesday, and then he called them into his office, and I was expelled. And that's actually quite a traumatic event, and it, it's something you can imagine filming, actually. Um, Absolutely. So there was a lot it um your parents being my parents being sort of ambushed by the college before i was um that's actually quite an interesting story it um sort of reminds me of a roman roman um polanski and god of carnage or something it's almost that kind of thing um but and then the the reasoning was that the privacy of boys in the barracks of you know, uh, young men in the barracks was invite was 
invaded by my presence there because hmm. theoretically I could be sexually interested in them. And also because in a sense, if you were to think about today's talk about gender ideology and so forth, 20 years later here in 2022, you could almost imagine it as a, a person with a feminine identity or something being in a boy's barracks. If right. you follow the way the activists talk today, you could almost imagine it that way. And so back and so as history moved on and this second book is a book of essays, there are ten essays and their observations about several things. But um several of them can concern the issue of, you know, uh right you know, individual rights for gays to privatize the freedom from sodomy laws and so forth. Another one of the essays that deals with the don't ask, don't tell policy that was in place. Mm-hmm. And the reason for what motivated me to start writing these books was the parallel between the reasoning for my being expelled from William and Mary in 1961 and then the reasoning in originally for not allowing gays to serve openly in the military when Bill Clinton suggested that in 1993 after he won the election and was underrated. He actually started talking about it in 1992. And there were various other books that came out by service members that had been expelled and so forth. And as you remember, Clinton came up with the don't ask, don't tell, don't pursue policy, which became don't ask, don't tell. Yes. And the reasoning, remember Sam Nunn and Charles Moscos and the re- uh, in the day and they in the early and mid 90s. The reasoning was that there's no privacy in military barracks. Which is true, you know, which is true. We'll right, get to that true. in a minute. Mm-hmm. And so the presence of, of uh, gay men who might be sexually interested in other men, even if they never do anything, who just might by nuance or innuendo make things tense because of, because of expressing this kind of latent interest might disrupt unit cohesion or might invade their privacy or something. Right. They, you know, because gay don't go home when they're in the military like you and I do. So that was the reasoning. And, um, but of course, you know, and of course by, by sex, of course, in the military, people were, or were always separated then, not as much now, but then they were more separated in barracks. Um, and now of course there's been a lot of progress to with the point that even transgender people can serve in the military. In fact, intersex people can serve in the military. Now that just came down. Huh. A couple of days ago, interesting. You may not have, that. but um, but that was that parallel is what led me to want to write the books, and it became quite a long narrative. Um, I would, you know, I would then come home. I would go to school at home. My parents became more supportive with it as the time went on, despite the emotional shock for them. I was actually an inpatient at National Institutes of Health for the second part of 1962 um, in Bethesda. That was very interesting. And I think the problem was that I was, I think I was diagnosed as having a schizoid personality or something like that. Actually, it's more just an introversion sort of being um, like a Sigma male or something. Mm. That's another popular word mm-hmm. today. I did not open up to other people. I was very critical of other people, even though I had been physically weak myself. I 
I was, I'm what you call dyspraxic. I didn't develop physically, physical strength the way young men are supposed to. And again, that would feed into today's controversy, which is beyond the book, but you can see how it would feed into today's controversy oh. about gender. Yes. I didn't know Yes, yes. And right, you know, reality's last stand and all of that. Um, that's being discussed today. You can see how it would feed in. But um, I was, so I, I admired other men who were more masculine than I was. And so that's how I felt. And so you can imagine how that plays out today or would play out then. And then, and I was a patient in NIH and that, that sort of setup irritated other patients that it made them feel inferior because I was so critical of other people that I didn't want to bond with them unless they were perfect enough or something. So that was something in my own personality in 1962. But anyway, I did graduate from GW. Um, I actually worked for a year at National Bureau of Standards. I actually got a job for a year. Um, that was an interesting. But I, and in 1966, I started graduate school in February at the University of Kansas. I actually had a teaching assistantship and I actually taught math and I had a reputation because I failed a lot of people. I actually was relieved in my teaching job um, in the spring of 66. Um, although I had caught one person cheating and he, that was interesting. He came up to see me in the dorm. At that time, the dorm wasn't a problem anymore. Things were better and I was older. So there weren't, mm -hmm. wasn't any tension at all in the dorm and the subject of homosexuality just never really came up very much. Nobody talked about it, but it wasn't, it wasn't as phobic as it had been five years before. Right. But, um, but, um, I remember the guy came up to my dorm to beg that I not flunk him and I was like half dressed and so forth and I still remember that conversation but anyway I was relieved in my duties and then rehired then I worked as a programmer there and learned computer programming for the first time and then I um, was reinstated as an assistant instructor in the last semester and again I was you know I gave it was a remedial class so the grades I gave were probably appropriate but it was controversial because we had a draft then. We had student deferments then. Oh, yeah. And students who flunked out of college were more, not simply more likely to be drafted. They were more likely to wind up in combat and be maimed or killed in Vietnam. So, in a sense, the teacher had a lot of power then. Yes. Which, and I was 22 then to 24 years old. And in the meantime, I was very concerned about what my life would be like with what had happened. With, how would I get a security clearance then? You know what it was like then, the the the, the red scare and everything. Absolutely. But, you know, it was starting to get better, but I was, so I actually volunteered to have the, the first physical, I was a 4F because of this, because of psychiatric history, which was sort of phony. Uh-huh. Um, it was almost like a kind of conversion therapy, but not quite, but sort of. And then the second time I was one Y, I took the second physical in Kansas City while I was in graduate school. And the third physical I took in the fall of 1964, or fall of 1967, I guess, um, in Richmond. And I was 1A. And I actually got a draft notice. And I actually went in two weeks early um, um, and got on the bus from Arlington, went down to Richmond, got there too late for the first day, had to stay in a hotel in the Jefferson overnight met another person that was going to going to um, go to the draft the next day too and he had been 
he had actually been named in a high school chemistry accident. That was a strange mm. experience to me. Way. But went on. I remember getting on the bus to go down to Fort Jackson at night and getting off and getting in, going into the reception center and actually having a job for the first hour. I supervised other people stamping, stamping um, name nameplates or something. And before uh-huh. we got to eat at three in the morning, that was an experience. But because of my dyspraxia, I had a lot of trouble with the physical education and keeping up with the physical combat proficiency tests. So I got, I got put in special training, um, which I had to pass the physical and get a 300 on the PCPT before I would be, a, could graduate from basic training. So I got recycled. I lost about six weeks and that put me in more danger, of not getting a desire that's not turning out well and maybe going to Vietnam myself. So this could be a life and death matter but it turned out well um, i w- w- managed to get assigned to the pentagon for the summer and then that became interesting but because i had trouble getting a top secret clearance because of the because of gays even though i had, ne- I had never actually had sex at the time uh-huh. that's another thing virgin i'd never done anything i think one person had approached me in the barracks one time and nothing happened. But um, I had never even had sex in my life or even approached anyone. But it was simply the idea. Um, so I was, I was because of the problems with the clearance, I was transferred to Fort Eustis, Virginia, where I spent the rest of my time. I did not go to, I did not go overseas. So I was sheltered because I had a graduate degree in mathematics. I actually, I actually did an interview for a direct commission in the last few weeks of basic, despite having been in special training company, which is really odd, a really odd thing. Uh, yeah. I didn't get it, but they asked the questions they asked in the interview were really interesting about being on student council and being in leadership positions and uh, kind of very interesting experience to well, have the, that. Yeah, they were they were but, they were uh, looking they were looking for leadership in all areas of uh, of military but, life back then, especially with Vietnam. Now, in your book Do yeah. Not uh, Do Ask Do Tell, is it dealing primarily with your your earlier uh, life and and how it's progressed yeah. or are you dealing mostly with uh, the first, Yes. The first book the first book deals deals with the the, the autobiographical sense and almost Yes. in almost in going from one period or incident to another, it's almost like a series of episodes. Like you know, it almost reads like a TV series or something, mm-hmm. like screen, like a series of screenplays. You know, you can almost imagine it being filmed. The second book, what but what I finally wound up doing in the last chapter, um, after I talked about gay, the fourth chapter, I. I had talked about gays in the military in great detail and all the legal conditions, all the arguments about whether don't ask, don't tell was constitutional and all the the arcane aspects and all the different life stories, not just my own, several other people. Then in this book, I have a shorter essay on whether don't ask, don't tell was constitutional and or whether it should be can be removed. And the the short answer is well yes it's constitutional it it didn't get very far in the courts and in fact in 1981 you may know that there was a Supreme Court ruling Roster versus Goldberg 
that said that the all male draft was constitutional. Mm-hmm. And look ahead today with all the debates about gender identity, about, about women, what, there's a debate as to whether women should be drafted today. Well, women, women still don't have to register for the draft. And trans people have to register if they were born male, at if they were born listed as male. And but if they were born as female, they don't, which is something nobody ever talks about. That's which I'm amazed that nobody, yeah, nobody I, seems to notice that. Yeah, I had not but, I had not heard of that. And and this book, uh, would you say it's a, a book that will be appealing or interesting to just about anybody, or is it a specific audience you think may may pick this up and and grow from it? I think if you if you are let's put it this way, think back about what happened recently this this past spring when Alito when you had the leak about Roe versus Wade, and in the court opinion he said that we and Thomas himself later on even compared further that he went back on what is considered a fundamental right for an individual. What's a fundamental right? Um, there's the there's the issue of the Fourteenth Amendment and whether life, liberty, and property, and then equal protection of the laws, how the, that wording defines what's fundamental right and whether the government can take away certain rights. What what Alito and later Clarence said is that you have to find these things more explicitly than a lot of people than you really can. So. Um, you know, he applied that to abortion, which I don't talk about very much in the books. I barely mention it. I think he also discussed um, the Second Amendment to some extent because there's there are rights to you know bear arms that are more explicitly stated in the Bill of Rights, although there is controversy over whether it's a group right or an individual right. It's actually an individual right now, which is controversial. I didn't really talk about that as much as I talked about sexual privacy which you know, you know, and, and sodomy laws. And for example, you know that in 2003, there was an opinion, Lawrence versus Texas, which in which homosexual only sodomy laws were finally inv- invalidated. But you know that back in 1986, there was a another, there, there was another opinion, opinion, Hardwick versus Bowers that said sodomy laws in general could be constitutional. And so there had been that debate all all these years, um, and then as and then some of the you know the, I think they were applying that to contraception and some of the other things, but in the second book, in this book in two thousand and two, um, what happened is you know w- what I said was what you really need to do because we can't be sure of how many of these individual rights are really explicitly defined in the Constitution, can be derived from particularly the 14th Amendment. What we really should do is is either either have a Bill of Rights too, in other words, rewrite the Bill of Rights and have another set of constitutional amendments that spells it out more explicitly. And back in 2001, 2002, 2003, at the time, these books were circulating and better known. Bill of Rights too, particularly in Minneapolis, which is where I was living then, was starting to becoming known as a 
kind of a catchphrase that we should have a bill of rights too. But you would have to do something. You would have to have some sort of set of town halls or something to establish what the public opinion was. And then maybe you would be able to get constitutional amendments started, or maybe you would get laws passed. Now, as you know, um, to, to, just to, to look forward into history, as you know, in 2010, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed. It was actually repealed officially in 2011 um, administratively. But that was Congress that wrote a law in 2010 for how to repeal it. That was not the Supreme Court. Um, so that wasn't as heavy a constitutional issue as, say, sodomy laws themselves were. And in fact, in the military, Article 125 in the UCMJ, it's still actually against the law in the military to have sod to participate in sodomy. A lot of people aren't aware of that, but that's technically still against the law. I think the point of your book then is really to examine, as you've said, the updates, uh, the, your your opinion on updates to the Bill of Rights and why they might be necessary. This is book two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh, I know, I know what I'm going to say. Sure. There is a group called Braver's Angels, Braver Angels, which used to be called, um, I think it used to be called, I, what was the name before? Well, it's called Braver's Angels now, which has um, in has Zoom meetings and used to have in-person meetings before COVID, had Zoom meetings and to debate many of these points about what should be a fundamental right. And so if you had a series of conventions like maybe run by a group like Bravers Angels, theoretically you could come up with a series of documents about what the American people believe basic rights should be on many of these controversial things. Um, and then you could write that into the con. Then you could possibly develop another amendment to the Constitution, or you could pass laws. Oh, I know what I was getting at. Gay ma- now you you remember in 2015, gay marriage. The Supreme Court finally said that gay marriage was um, going. You know, was finally going to be recognized. And then you know that you know, over the Obergefell opinion. 2010 was the end of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. 2015, which was 13, this is all several years after your book, but as you know, 2015, gay marriage was finally recognized by the Supreme Court. Yes. Then, and so, and so, as you may remember, recently, Congress passed a law more or less protecting gay marriage from being affected by the reasoning that was behind overturning Roe versus Wade recently. Yes. Now I know this not this is not in the book. This is not in the book because the book was written in 2002 after 9/11. But but instead was this is stuff that's more recent. But it's the same kind of thinking that you that you need to get people to, you you need to get people together and find out what they really believe fundamental rights are when external circumstances around the world are changing. One of the biggest challenges to individual rights recently, of course, was, and this is not in the book again, because it was, this has happened, you know, 17 years later than the book, was, um, of course, COVID and the lockdowns and the mask mandates and some people think the vaccine mandates and so forth, but particularly the lockdowns. 
can people be restricted from their freedom of, of movement for public health purposes when the when the evidence is perhaps so uncertain? And I'm not. We can't answer that right here in this interview. But Absolutely it's a not. question whether there's a fun, there's a question about whether people have the fundamental right to move around, just like um, on the internet. You can say now because I can broadcast myself to the rest of the world in a blog, or and even be found by search engines. I don't even need I don't even need to be popular in social media. I've been quite effective just simply blogging, being found by search engines. Interesting. Do I have a fundamental right to, to freedom of reach that goes along with freedom of speech? You know, is freedom does freedom of speech imply freedom of reach, or should there be constraints on my right to put something out where anybody can find it if there's the possibility that unstable people would be um might be inspired to do commit violent acts or something unstable like unstable you know, that, results so, yes that's, that's an interesting concept you're 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 laying out here and you've done so in your book as well uh it's yeah, a two, the, yes yeah, that's the stochastic terrorism argument that the left has hmm. now but it's a serious argument and you know, it, you know, at the time that I wrote this, this book, um, the 2002 book, at the time that I wrote it, we the internet had been around for about five years or so, and it had not been very long that you could just put anything on the you wanted in an essay online, and have and have a very good chance that Google would find it, other people would find it, what you wrote. And possibly be influenced by it. it was, in, in a way, I was more influential then, right after during that period in the early from up until 2003 2004, than I was after modern social media. Because I don't have a lot of followers, or a lot, you know, I don't. I'm not real popular or, or well known personally. My name isn't well known, and I'm not real popular personally. Hmm. But a lot of things I've written are relatively well known. They just don't know who wrote it. Yes. Um, so kind of that, that's kind of an interesting position to be in, and it's something that's you know, that's I'm sort of the dark horse. It's it should someone can somebody like me possibly be dangerous, you know, because you don't see I'm not as popular as as the people that have a million followers on YouTube or something. I sometimes sometimes. On three or four, two or three occasions, I've had a major influence on the outcome of something. Well, maybe, I can't. I'm not. Maybe can't discuss it right here. Yeah, maybe you need. Have, maybe you need to take up have, music and uh, get sequined, uh, you know, uh, outfits and stuff. Maybe that'll get more attention. I don't know. That's a. That seems to be the uh, trend in uh, in popularity online. You obviously love to write. You uh, you are a thinker. Uh, you have opinions, which is important. Everyone does, but it, you've been able to express yours beautifully in uh, in many uh, books and in uh, different uh, venues. This book is titled "Do Ask, Do Tell When Liberty Is Stressed," and uh, the subtitle right. is "The Updates to Bill of Rights." It's uh, really book two, essays on challenges to free speech and other liberties. My guest author, Bill yeah. Bushka. Sir, where do we get copies of this? Um. You right now you order it and you can go on to Amazon and order it. And I am developing a new website to order it more directly. I don't really have it working quite yet, but the, the easiest place is to go on to Amazon, to to Barnes and Noble, or to go on to iUniverse itself. 
keep an order to my universe itself. Very good. I do have. Yes. Um, you can contact me, but the the easiest way is to do it, and it's or and we are working on getting them back into bookstores. I wanted to mention one other thing that I was trying to pull out of my mind before when, and um, that is the chapter seven in this book called Narcissism, Affiliation, and Polarity. The polarity theory, which was invented by a a psychotherapist named Paul Rosenfels in New York in the 1970s, it turns out his theory really is pretty much the same as what um, Colin Wright says today about reality and everything. His theory is that you you can be of a biological gender and publicly simply live according to your born and live the way you want to in terms of your own internal psychological growth. And you can be a masculine man physically and be psychologically feminine, which I guess I would be, or you could be, you could be psychologically, you could be a woman and still be psychologically masculine. Hmm. And you can also be objective or subjective. There were other categories in which, which aren't genders, but there are in which, personality class personality characteristics get separate on but this was for personal growth this was not for activism which is the difference so his theory back in the 1970s and he taught the theory at a, at a place called the ninth street center on east ninth street in the east village and i attended that for some time for a couple of years um it, it did get some traction in the 1970s the sort of has gotten forgotten or it's one of those things that's now coming back in the writings of people, I would say, like Colin Wright and so forth, um, who talk about the science of sex and, and are trying to parse gender from trying to get the facts right. You, you can be what you want as a person and still not need to go through changing your appearance publicly just to please other people in public. Um, now that theory that theory runs into a question about you know what about the draft right now women don't have to register for the draft and so it's not a perfect theory but it is i think a reasonably effective answer to some of the controversies that are going on today that's chapter 7 in that book i wanted to mention that well very good and i the other that's the, the other one of the other big topics besides bill of rights too and then dealing with calamity when it happens we know we may have to deal with climate change that may lead to questions about personal liberty in the future being able to go where you want to just like covid did and just like nine after 9 11 remember there was a lot of talk about personal responsibility or personal liberty and terrorism and you know restraining it there was talk of bringing back the draft then for some people wanted to some people even saw that as an answer to Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which hmm. Charles Moskow. I wanted to impress that point on you. I, that's in the, the second book, Charles Moscow's comment to me. He was the author of the Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and originally made that argument about privacy in the barracks. And then he said, we should drop that and have a draft again. And this time, gays will be welcome. So we can't afford to fool around with this after another after an incident like 9-11. Now, he actually said that to me one time. Huh, incredible. I just well, that, in. I wanted to make that everything. All right, listeners, you can get a copy of this, Do Ask, Do Tell, When Liberty is Stressed, by doing a search under the name of the book or under the author, Bill 
Bushka, B-O-U-S-H-K-A. And uh, when you find that, you can locate him on this particular topic and others that he has written or commented on and uh, his website when it comes uh, in, when it's developed to its uh, fullness and and you can uh, interconnect with him there. All right, Bill, good visiting with you. There is a there is a personal website that's based on my legal name, John W. Bushka. It's John with the letter W for William and Bushka. So I just wanted to say say that too. Excellent. Well, good visiting with you. Uh, best of luck. I think we'll probably get to visit again with all of your prolific writing and uh, thought processes of examining important topics that are uh, valid in today's marketplace. Thank you, Bill, for joining me today. Okay. My pleasure for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.